Day two. Day two. SEC Media Days. And hey, this has been a hell of a lot of fun, Shane. Having a great time with you. Yes. But I am, my goodness, am I, I'm on E. How about you? Yes, fumes, you know, and I can't even see a gas station. It's like, I don't know. I may have to walk this one, but uh, it was it was a wild ride today. We had four coaches, four teams. We didn't know who was going to pop in. We have several interviews lined up, uh, and more to come. Yeah, uh, this has been a this has been an absolute event. I thought yesterday was crazy. No, brother. It started out early with Saban, and it's just now ending. Right, and and it's at five o'clock. You still got editing to do. It's going to be an all nighter. Yeah, and I feel like I feel bad because I'm probably going to forget someone. But we had we got Ben Portnoy from the yep. state, Mike Yuva from mm-hmm. Gamecock Central. We had Javon Gwynn. Yeah. From the Gamecocks, Come all on. stationed here. We had Stefan Krishnik <laughs> yeah, from the Clarion Leisure, Mississippi yeah. State, Anwar Richardson, Orange Bloods, Texas. We had Marler just come by. We told him to get lost. Cause the Doors. Billy Derrick from the Door Report, founder mm-hmm. of the Door Report. So, yeah. hey, we're trying. We're working our ass off here. We, we've been trying all day to get Alabama people, <laughs> yeah. but, hey, the, the one fan base that's got, like, 50 reporters here, we can't yeah. get one of them to come talk to us. They got time for it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's Alabama, you know, and, and you would think that that would be the easiest one to score. Uh, but Marler rolls in at 5 o'clock right at quitting time, you know, <laughs> and wants to talk about national champs. We ain't got time. So we're going to have some Alabama talk. It's just going to be on tomorrow's show. Uh, which, again, is already getting loaded up. So, uh, yeah, it's been an event for sure. So before, before we start hitting the teams, highlights for you, Shane, personally, any, anything that stands out from day two of SEC? You know, it's, it's been so busy up here, it's really hard to get into the main room and yeah. actually listen to what the coach says. Usually up here, because you don't know who's going to pop in, so it, we just got to be prepared. But I made an exception for the Pirate, and it was well <laughs> worth the wait. You know, I, I, that, that, that's a guy that we've talked about for many years. We couldn't wait to get him into the SEC because you never know what he's going to say or right. what he's going to do, and, and he did not disappoint. So uh, the biggest one for me was just seeing, uh, seeing the Pirate. Um, second one, I would say, um, you know, just the, the whole – the buzz, if you will, you know, and it was buzz from Nick Saban early this morning, and it ended with the, the hop reel coming from South Carolina. <laughs> uh, I, I'll tell you, the Beamer hop is on uh, – it's, it's it's at 10, brother. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the Gamecocks, man, I'm telling you, everybody in here is pumped up about yeah. the South Carolina Gamecocks and what they can do. We're seeing that reaction online so – uh, let's just get into it, Shane. And let's just go in the order here. Nick Saban, like okay. you said, led the thing off. And well, offici- <laughs> officially officiating, but no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we honestly we slept in a little bit. We missed the officiating, guys. Sorry, we're gonna have to get an instant replay on that one. But uh, you know, Nick Saban, he comes in here usually has a message. Yeah. And you know, I didn't see any any loud. I think because he's confident, and he, he did hammer home the NIL, of course. But yeah. I think he's just coming in with so much confidence with this team. They lost. Imagine winning the, the SEC, going to the national championship, and you got your star quarterback yeah. saying, this is a damn wasted, bad year. Yeah. That's exactly what Nick Saban wants to hear. And I think that's why he'd come in here not trying to create waves with any storylines. That's that's exactly right. I mean, this was Nick Saban. This, I mean, this is, this is what we expected. I mean, there was a, uh, you know, I don't know if maybe – 
if a certain person got to ask a different question, maybe we would have got a different, you know, storyline here because, you know, Nick Nick has been on record talking about the NIL and what he does it and does not like about it. And we just, you know, we didn't get that. In fact, the first question that I think we got an honest answer uh, was asked to the Pirate about the, the, the dynamic between him and Jimbo. You know, mm-hmm. it's like – Everybody's kind of dancing around, Saban. Nobody, you know, and I get it. Everybody gets it. Everybody's been on the receiving end of Nick Saban. And, you know, we say that and you're afraid to ask questions. But it felt like he came in here with a pretty bland message and uh, nobody was was taking the bait out there. Now, what do you think about his comments? Because he does come out here and he, it seems like, I don't know if it's transparency is the right word, but he's saying, hell, we made, our players made $3 million last year yeah. in NIL. So he's throwing it out there. It. It kind of – I guess what I'm trying to say, Shane, is his thing is kind of like college football, I believe in fairness and all this, even though it's never yeah. been fair, it never will be fair. Do you believe him when he, when he says he wants it to be fair, or does he want to – does he not want A&M or Tennessee or whoever to catch up to Alabama? No, this is salesman 2.0 right here. Saban, when he he, when he was emotional, he, he – you know, we, here we got Texas A&M with the number one recruiting class, and we know there's lots of money being talked about up there and lots of kids getting paid now. Um, so, obviously, that is why all this started with Nick Saban. But if you notice when he got up there, it was, well, uh, we're good. We're good, you know, which they are. You know, he says, but we're worried about the other teams. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what you do to kind of get the, you know, the eyes off you like, hey, Nick Saban's a good guy. He's worried about the other. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what I took from it. Yeah. You keep harping on the competitive balance that's necessary for the NIL. And Lane Kiffin yesterday mentioned that he thinks that there should be a salary cap for the NIL and that that would help. What do you think of that idea? (laughs) Uh, You know, um, I, I I don't know what are the best guidelines. Right, for us to have to create the competitive balance. Um, and I don't know where it needs to come from. Um, I think if the NCAA is going to be able to implement their rules, they need some kind of protection from litigation. Um, because right now, I think they have a difficult time implementing rules because of lawsuits. And um, so there may be need to be something bigger uh, than that, whether it's done at the federal level or however it is to sort of create some guidelines for, you know, how we manage uh, moving forward the future of college football. Um, I don't I don't necessarily have the answers. Um, I don't know if that's the answer. Um, but I have a lot of respect for Lane. You know, he does a great job. He's a good coach. He did a great job for us. But I don't, I don't, I don't really know what the answers are. But uh, I do think we have a lot of people working on, you know, things that can protect the integrity of competitive balance, you know, in the future of college football. Nick, do you feel like uh, things are resolved between you and Jimbo Fisher? And are you concerned at all with the direction of college football with the way NIL is right now? Well, first of all, I have no issues or problems with uh, Jimbo. Um, He's done a great job at A&M. He did a great job for us. Um, You know, I I always take um, criticisms or whatever uh, 
in a positive way to self-assess me personally in terms of maybe there is something that I could do better. Um, and so any comments that anybody makes, you or any coach, um, I always take into consideration. So, um, but there is no issues or problems. Um, well, I was wondering if you could comment on the secondary play, especially uh, Kool-Aid, Kyrie, and uh, what Eli Ricks brings to the table as well for you, Coach? Well, I think that's a work in progress. You know, uh, Kool-Aid has been injured. Uh, Kyrie was injured. Uh, so those guys have had limited work um, from spring practice, you know, until now. Um, uh, Eli Ricks is a guy that started in this league, and um, he has to, you know, sort of prove that he has a good understanding of what we want, to, want him to do and how we want him to do it and why it's important to do it that way. Um, but I do think that those guys, those three guys, as development uh, is going to be critical to, you know, the success of our team. And I'm not disappointed in where they are right now, but I do think uh, we need to continue to make progress at that position if we're going to get the kind of consistency and performance that we need to uh, do the things that we'd like to do defensively. Last week at Big 12 Media Days, Coach Sarkeesian said he wouldn't be there without you. I wondered if you maybe talked about the relationship that you had with Sark when he was on your staff, why you decided to bring him on, and maybe talk about the game that you guys will be traveling and playing in Texas in week two. Yeah, well, Sark did, you know, is one of the finest coaches that we've ever had on our staff, you know, did an outstanding job. Uh, does a good job with uh, player relations, very well organized, um, very good play caller on game day, um, just did a fantastic job. So um, really excited for him and his family that, uh, you know, he got the opportunity uh, to go to Texas. And um, I know they're going to have a really challenging team, you know, for us next year. It's going to be you know, a very competitive game, which I'm sure their players are looking forward to and our players are looking forward to, which is what makes college football great. Um, but uh, I have a really good relationship with Sark. Um, he always very, very respectful of, um, you know, the head coach, our relationship, the principles and values of the organization um, that he sort of reinstated you know, instilled in the players and reinforced in a positive way. So uh, I can't say enough good things about, you know, Sark and how he contributed to the program and um, the sex success that I think he'll have at Texas. We Federal. asked Will and Jordan about Jameer Gibbs, and their faces sort of lit up when we talked about him. What it is about his character that excites you in this team, about having him in the locker room? Because it seems his play sort of speaks for itself. Well, he's an outstanding player. Um, He's a very mature person. Um, he's got great work ethic. Uh, he's very talented from an ability standpoint. He's got speed. He's a really good receiver. Uh, he does a great job of pressing holes and, you know, getting the defense to commit to things and, you know, making a cut and gets to top speed very quickly, which are all tremendous assets for a running back. Um, so he's made a really, really positive impact you know, on our team in um, a lot of ways uh, on the field and off. And we're very pleased to have him in the program. All right, so moving on to Vanderbilt, Clark Lee. Some bold comments from old Buddy. Clark Lee. I mean, yeah. kind of old school, kind of new school. First official quarterback competition ended 
names Mike Wright the starting quarterback. Yeah. So that's what this event used to be. You'd come into it and you ask the coach a depth chart and he'd be transparent. He'd give it to you yeah. so you could write about it in the paper or whatever. Now they don't say nothing. They no. say it's a competition going into the fall. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think if you're Vanderbilt, you're clinging for some, some kind of hope, something, you know, so, something to be excited about. And yeah. I think a coach and a team that's confident in a quarterback not going into the, the training camp trying to figure it out, I think I'm, I'm fired up with a Vanderbilt fan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that if there were a team to kind of hold their cards for the first game, it would it would have been Vandy. It yeah. kind of surprised me they named it because, you know, Ken Seals and Wright are two different guys. And Hawaii having to prepare for two quarterbacks, there is a, uh, you know, there is a competitive edge with that, uh, you know, because we don't want Vandy to get, get beat week one, the opening of SEC football. So um, kind of surprised there. But then again, you look at all this. We don't have to worry about it. There's, nobody's going to talk about it in the offseason. Right. Nobody's going to keep riddling them questions about the quarterback play. And, and you're going to have Mike Wright getting all the looks, all the reps. And exactly. that's, that's going to help these guys, I, I think, coming out better prepared week one. And I think I, I know what you're saying, and that usually is kind of what you want. You, you kind of want that mystery. But, you know, all due respect, I know Vanderbilt is, is far from where they want to be. But you should not have to need secrecy to beat Hawaii. You right. should be able to beat the pants off them, and they should yeah. know your 22 starters. Yeah. So, again, I, that speaks to me, the confidence and, and the, the belief in Mike Wright, and I like that move from Clark Lee. Absolutely. Now, the one I'm questioning, <laughs> best team. Go, go on the Hawaii thing. Wait, before <laughs> you go there, before you go there, the Hawaii thing, the one that thing that's driving me nuts is that is the storyline with Hawaii. They're not returning anybody back, and they suck yeah, and yeah. all this stuff. It's like – be careful, you know. Let's let's don't make them uh, just a cupcake because if you lose to a cupcake, then it's like ETSU yeah, 2.0. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Just you know, have respect for that university. They've they've had some good programs. You can't you can't overlook anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I just think it's kind of funny. That's the narrative that Hawaii sucks, and and I want Vanderbilt to come out with a win. But if they don't, I don't want the wheels to come off because we thought that was the easiest game of the year. Mm -hmm. All right, so. You were having a good time with our interview buddy over here. So, Clark Lee, the best team. What is what do you say in the country? Uh, yeah, he says. Or there, I don't want to mess it up. I did this earlier, but uh, we'll pause it for a second. It's the beauty of doing this. You know, we can actually pause it because <laughs> live interviews we could. <laughs> here, I got it right here. All right. So the, the tweet of the day uh, came from, uh, well, actually just the comment of the day. We know in time Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. That's bold, man. That is bold. And do you see in the next 10 years, 20 years, that happening? No. But, again, I think it speaks to Clark Lee's confidence. And, and he's obviously inherited a, a program at the bottom, not only the SEC, but the country. Yeah. And I think he's trying to give them some confidence, give them some belief that they never had before. So, again, I like the move, even though it seems like an unattainable goal. I would rather play for a football coach and a football program. You strive for perfection knowing you'll never actually yeah. achieve it. So, hey, I like it. And what else I like about Lee and, and kind of, I guess, the story that he was putting out there was, you know, here's a guy that played at Vanderbilt. He's now coaching at Vanderbilt. 
you know, if, if all goes well, 30 years from now, I mean, he's a young guy, he could still be at Vanderbilt. And we look back at a Dan Snyder or, a, <laughs> a, you know, a Frank Beamer type of, of a career. And I think that's exactly what Vanderbilt needs. And it's not going to be an overnight, you know. But players like Wright, players, you know, some of these X factors that other programs are afraid to t- pull the trigger on, mm-hmm. that's what Vanderbilt's got to be ready to catch. And they're going to get a genie in the bottle once. And, and it may happen this year. It may happen three years from now. But there's going to be something that elevates Vanderbilt's game. Now, what I like, uh, and we'll talk about it here in the interview, is – you know, you're starting to see a little bit more from Vanderbilt buying into the, their own program, which I think is ultimately their biggest problem mm-hmm. is is the fact that there's not the buy-in from the university itself. Mike started his press conference talking about his suit and who he's wearing. Um, how valuable <laughs> is having that kind of personality leading the team, and do you want to say who you're wearing? <laughs> this suit is from ESQ. My friend God in Chicago sets me up. Um, Mike is a, he's a, he's a dynamic person. He's a good person. He's, uh, um, he's, he's got, he's got that depth of personality and toughness required to, um, to take ownership and take leadership. Um, and keep in mind too, you know, is, is, is he has to earn that position every day. There's nothing, there's no guarantees given and he knows that, but a year ago it was Ken that had the job. You know, and, and, and the tough conversation was with Mike and, you know, his persistence through that frustration. Um, those, those moments are formative. You know, it's, it's adversity that he had to fight through. And on the back end of that, there was some self-discovery that, that uh, took place. And, you know, we're fortunate to have him part of our program. And, um, and certainly, you know, he, he's, uh, he's got, again, the personality to, to really connect and, and drive the team forward. So we're, we're, um, we're glad to have him My in that. My question way. is, going into your second year, what are some of the biggest challenges that you have found in, in trying to build your program? And how do you feel like you're progressing in those areas? I think the challenges of building anything is just having the toughness in the early part of the journey to get the flywheel turning. You know, we're just, you have to, you have to separate yourself a little bit from some of the sting of the, of the results and you, and you maintain a focus on where you're headed. And, you know, I think we've done that effectively. I mean, I feel like we're on course and every day we have to fight for that course. Um, And there, you know, a lot of external entities that, want to judge you for where you are and we just have to keep a disciplined focus on where we're headed but um I, I i see that as fun and exciting and like energizing to me like i don't you know i don't uh like back away from that challenge and um you know the the funnest part of it is the reward that's going to come from seeing our players have success and we will and so um certainly the challenge inherent in falling short but um, gives you the opportunity to bounce back, respond, and define who you want to be moving forward. Props to Clark Lee because he's not a guy that uh, I don't want to say, you know, maybe he, he's getting his personality together, I right. feel like. And in year one, we didn't see much of it, but now we're starting to see it here on the big stage. Asked about old Brian Kelly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and he made this decision on his own to go in this direction. Okay. Having spent three years with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, what is it about him, his approach, his style, whatever it is that makes him successful? Well, he's a great dancer. 
So, hey, that's what we all think about because we haven't seen Brian Kelly yeah. at LSU outside of the dancing. But uh, You know, it's funny. We asked if you had a question for Brian Kelly, one question, what would it be? Mm-hmm. 99% of it was about dancing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next team, Shane, Mississippi State. Mike Leach never disappoints in never. a setting like this. Uh-uh. He's got the Netflix recommendations. He's got no opening remarks. I love that. Those opening remarks are worthless. I don't care what (laughs) Stefan has to say. Uh, I I just cannot stand it. I basically tune out until they get to the questions with all the coaches. Well, I I love it. He came out and he said, any questions? You know, and it was like it caught everybody off guard. Even though we kind of knew that was going to happen, it was still a little little break. And like, okay, he's not going to do an opening. And I like that because here you got two Mississippi guys, Lane Kiffin yesterday. He changed the rules. In media days, you now got to stand up. That's thanks to Lane. You know, so <laughs> he, everybody can see where you're at. Probably not going to wear a tie next year. And then you got uh, the pirate here, not going to do the. He's, I'm not going to do the fluff because we're going to get into that. And he's got a point. So uh, I, I like that because it felt like we got more interaction from coach and we got to where we want to be sometimes those opening remarks can go so damn long they just eat up all that time you know we don't get to see these guys again until the season kicks right. off you know so i think this is a this is an important time especially for the fans do you think there's any positive to to leach making it about like his weird and wackiness to where we're not sitting here being like you know what about your left tackle because that's yeah. a big issue what about your defense you know they gave up a lot of you know instead everyone's like Hey, Leach, yeah. what's your favorite Netflix show? I mean, any anything to that to where he, he de- basically deflects yeah. negativity from from whatever's going on there? I think so. I, I, I really do. Everybody loves interviewing him. Everybody loves – I mean, the first question was about Netflix. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like we know we're just looking for storylines or, or just little clips that we can put on videos. And, and I think it's good and bad. I think, you know, Mississippi State – probably has less questions than a lot of the programs in the SEC. So, you know, I, I think he can afford to answer some of those stupid stupid remarks, uh, even though I enjoy them, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I think it does buy him time with the media because nobody's going to hit him with an NIL question. Right. I mean, that, that's not what Pirate does, you know. They're, they're looking for laughs. <laughs> your, your players say that you were talking about a grizzly bear a lot on the way to SEC media days today. Can you share with us what that was about? Well, where I grew up in Cody, Wyoming, uh, and I went there over 4th of July because uh, I was in the parade there, and then um, uh, <clears throat> and that's in northwest Wyoming, uh, you know, it's kind of the east entrance of Yellowstone. And now I haven't checked it since, but about two weeks for a week there, and it's been about two weeks, uh, we had uh, two people got uh, gored by buffalo and one mauled by a grizzly bear. And uh, the, two, uh, buffalo, the two people that got injured by the buffalo, the two buffalo um, ended up in Park County Hospital, which is in Cody. And then. Uh, and then the you know the the guy that uh, got mauled by the grizzly, they hauled him to Billings. Hopefully they're all doing okay. But yeah, that was all in one week. You know, I'm flying in, checking on hey what's been happening around here. That's all in one week. So it's been two weeks. So hopefully everybody went unscathed. You know, but don't go pet buffalo. So many uh, great coaches in this league already, in particular in your division. I just wanted your thoughts on uh, Brian Kelly making the move from Notre Dame to LSU and what that brings to the league this year. 
I've known Brian for years. I didn't realize he was as good a dancer as he is, but I'm excited to see that. And um, heck, you think you know a guy, right? And then, um, uh, but uh, uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's a he's a guy that's focused, uh, very focused on football, and he's an X and O guy. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, he does a good job. So, uh, and our our league's full of quality coaches. Well, all right. So we've got uh, an interview here. Stefan Krajiznik, Clarion Leisure. Say that I, ten times. This was an outstanding interview. Really appreciate Stefan coming on. First time in person, but he's been yeah. on the show before. Absolutely. Let's kick it over to uh, that interview. The third leg of the tripod, we had Cats on yesterday. Oh, yes. Today we had uh, Ben Portnoy. Yes. And now we've got you, Stefan Krajiznik. 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 God, <laughs> last told, time it took me about three times. Time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's not even going to attempt it. But, of course, you cover Mississippi State, Clarion Ledger. That's why you're down here firing off multiple questions on Mike Leach. That was impressive in itself. But uh, is this your first media days? No, actually, my, my first assignment. So I graduated from Indiana May 2021. So my first assignment uh, when I was working with the, the Daily Journal was uh, SEC media days. So last year I went to media days at Birmingham, and now I'm here with the Clarion Ledger uh, for round two. And, and it's a blast. It's a blast, man. Yeah, no doubt. So what did, did you learn anything from the uh, multiple questions you got to fire off from old Leach? I mean, we got we got Netflix recommendations. Yeah. We got, what else did we get down there? Uh, the small package. That, that one's going viral. <laughs> that, right that will quickly go viral, like, if you take it out of context. What's what's funny is, like, we get Leach like that all the time, where, where if he's in a good mood, I mean, he'll talk about anything, mm-hmm. anything right. possible. And if you ask him, like, a serious football question, a lot of the time you don't really get a great answer. Like, he, he kind of, like, over time – I mean, I, I followed him. We had him, like, the local media scrum, then we had him on the main stage, and I followed him to the electronic media room. And, I mean, he got asked the same question about Will Rogers, like, three or four times. It <laughs> kind of gets boring over time, but, like, he likes the random questions. The small package, big package thing was, like, an actual <laughs> – like, he was going in-depth about football and, like, breaking it down. And, of course, he said something that's going to be taken out of context <laughs> exactly. and go viral. It's be like, well, that was our one chat. Well, I like it because Lane came out here yesterday explaining why do we wear ties. You right. Know, so, and, and now we got the leech. And leech, leech hates hates ties. Last year, his whole thing was he hates uh, coming coming to events like these where he has to wear a tie, and and he hates making opening statements. Right. He doesn't well, that's like what I'm saying. Yeah, is his opening statements going away? I mean, if he keeps he's never he never. I mean, he'll sit down and and it's funny because like as a journalist, you kind of like the opening statements because it's almost like an icebreaker. Like a coach yeah. is like you kind of tell like are they like really like pissed off after the game that they lost or are they kind of like in a good mood so you sit down you get that icebreaker he sits down he's like all right questions and then you just go from there and it's like all right you better have a question ready to go because there's one time where he did that and there was like a slight delay as you know who's going to raise their hand first get the microphone first or something like that and he was like no questions and we we're like no no, no we got questions <laughs> sit, sit down we got questions so i asked cats the same thing because he covers lane kiffin down there when you come to an event like this so many media personalities how many people come up to you and say you lucky bastard. You get to cover Mike Leach. <laughs> I don't know how many people call me lucky, but a lot of people come up to me and, and ask, like, what's what's he like, like, outside of, you know, the, the viral rants and things yeah. like that? Like, what's he like when his Monday availability is done and he's, you know, walking to the door and, and trying to leave? Like, what? And, and he's really – like, people have said this about him all the time. And Sankey talked about all the degrees he had and, and going to law school and Pepperdine. Like, he's really smart guy. Like, you can talk to him about anything. I mean, I, inter- I interviewed him one time. I did a story on – on when he went uh, to law school in Pepperdine and kind of talked to some of his former professors and things like that. It was just like an interesting tidbit you kind of mix in as you talk, you know, football all season. And um, and they all talked about how smart he was. And, 
And I called him and we talked. And, and this interview, you know, you expect it to be like, what, 15, 20 minutes? I and mean, we talked on the phone for three hours about well, anything and everything. I mean, yeah. I, I probably used 15 minutes of it for a story. <laughs> and I probably have another two hours that I can't share with anyone. <laughs> but that, that is, there's just a lot in there where he's a really smart guy and he loves to travel the world and, and things yeah. of that nature. Like, there's a lot to talk about with him. Yeah. I've, uh, I've heard the same thing. People cover him, I guess. One of my buddies, I don't want to reveal too much, but he worked for an outlet. Leach was totally against the outlet, basically said, I'm not going to answer a question from yeah. you all season. But they became really good buddies because he had no, no problem with the reporter. So, you know, he, he's an interesting guy to kind of figure out. But uh, it seems like when he's got his mind set on something, you know, he, he's not going to change it. Yeah, yeah, it, it happens, and it happened on State Beat last season. Um, you know, it's – it, it, it's interesting. There's, you know, there's a lot of times where you could tell he he kind of likes to, you know, have his program be his program, not have us asking questions yeah. and you know reaching there too much. But but he also does it to, and, and there's a lot of reporters that probably wouldn't say this, but I think he does have a great deal of respect of, of what we do. Um, and and you know, I talks about you know all this, the schools you went to. I mean, he's written a ton of essays and read a ton of books where you know he'll. If you write something that's wrong, he's not afraid to be like, you could have wrote that better, like, you know, that kind of stuff. So he's, he's, he's a smart guy, and you yeah. know that if, you, if even if it's just a typo or, like, a poor grammar or something, he'll, he'll let you know. <laughs> so this should be a really exciting season, though, for the Bulldogs. Yeah. Return, I believe they lead the SEC in returning production. It seemed like Leach was kind of trying to downplay all the returning experience they have. Of course, Will Rogers, right. this is year three. It seems like wherever Leach goes, obviously he has success, but it, it's really – takes off year three year four could you see that for the bulldogs with what they coming what they've got coming back they they could be a dark horse i don't want to say win the west but maybe surprise a couple teams and finish a lot higher than than most anticipate yeah what's tough for them the the difficulty that you get is is instead of playing vandy this year you're playing georgia so that's that's not that's not a really favorable draw um instead of playing home against kentucky or at kentucky things of that nature so it's it's a tough schedule and by some metrics it's the toughest in the nation i mean it's top three toughest schedule whichever metric you end up reading but um there's so much so much returning production and leach kind of downplays in a sense of it's still not like the veteran team that he envisions Mm -hmm. but he's got guys i mean will rogers is in his third year with more starts under his belt than most quarterbacks i mean you remember in 2020 he came in as a freshman and was starting at georgia when state had 43 scholarship players available because covid was still going on i mean there's just there's experience on this team but there's not a lot of i guess you don't have a ton of veterans, right? You have right. you have you have veterans in terms of experience, not in terms of age. And then you got guys like Austin Williams who are here who've been here, like you know he's in his sixth year or something like that. And <laughs> you got a few of those guys, but the that, that's where it gets really hard with teams, right? Like you get to that third year where the tra- tra- trajectory is going up and up and up, and now it's like, is it going to continue up or is it going to level out? And that's where Mississippi State has had problems with their program in the past. Now it's it, can you consistently be a team that's winning seven or eight games, and let's say every five years you win nine or ten, right? You pull mm-hmm. off a you, you you get to this point where let's it could be this year, it could be next year, where you get to this point where you got that veteran team that could pull off the nine or ten win season, and then you would hope in those two three years in between where you're building, you get seven or eight wins consistently. Yeah. That's where they're trying to get to right now. They get seven wins last year. It hurts them that first season. You know he goes four and seven and. I mean, that 2020 COVID year was so weird. I mean, you had so many, you know, Michigan, Penn State. I, I was covering Indiana. I mean, those teams were, you know, they were losing Indiana, right? Like, you had a lot of programs that, that were going through, you know, weird stretches, players out and out in 2020, you get certain players not available for games. And he was 4-7 and seven in that year. And now you look at it and you're like, well, he's under 500 in his career at Mississippi right. State. So that number skews, I think, that perception a little bit. But but the trajectory is, is it's on its way up. And now it's a matter of maintaining it, right? You can't, you can't afford to drop and have a two-win year in the middle of that because that's when you lose all the momentum that you Bill. And, and of course, winning the Egg Bowl is going to be really important this year. You can't, yeah. you know, go 0 3 to start off your tenure in the Egg Bowl is, you'll, 
you'll make Especially some fans mad. Especially when you mad. replace a guy that never lost the Egg Bowl. Right. I know he was <laughs> just briefly there, but hell, he won that we, game we, every year. Uh, we were talking to Jonathan Mingo yesterday. He was one of the players available for Ole Miss, and I was like, you know, I asked Lane the question. I asked him, I was like, we, what would it mean for you to leave Ole Miss with three Egg Bowl wins under your belly? He's like, well, I probably should have four <laughs> if you remember what Elijah Moore did. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think anyone will ever forget that anytime soon. Uh, I want to ask about Will Rogers, you know, because this year feels like a quarterback year, mm-hmm. obviously. we got Spencer coming in. we got a lot of noise coming out of Alabama, winning another Heisman. But I, yeah. I just think I think Will is not getting the respect he deserves coming into the season. Now, he's going to end the year – probably with 10,000 passing yards, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, at the end – you've talked to him. I'm sure you've sat down with yeah. him. What's what's his mindset coming into this season? You know, he, he talked – what's interesting is, is – and I agree with you guys, I think he's definitely one of the more under-the-radar quarterbacks, which is surprising to say with the numbers he put up that right. he is under the radar. Um, he, he really developed as the season went on. Like, he went from a guy that was throwing a bunch of passes and getting a bunch of, you know, completion yards to – a guy who was making checks at the line. I mean, that, that win they had against Kentucky at home last year, they had like 30 runs. And a lot of them were Will making making reads at the line. And Austin Williams was just saying that's the biggest development he's seen with Will is it's not just e- Leach in his ear telling him, hey, do this play. It's Leach telling him in his ear. And then Will actually reading mm-hmm. the defense yeah. and saying, no, 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 let's let's do this. Let's do that instead. So he's developed with that experience. And, and, and like you said, I think he can have a really good year. The numbers will be there, right? Like you, you play in this system, you're going to get the numbers. He'll, yeah. he'll end up being top 10 in passing yards, top 10 in completions, probably top 10 in completion percentage. All that would happen. But, I mean, Leach just, just earlier in our local scrum called him a Heisman candidate. Like he thinks yeah. that he's up there. Now, this, if you win seven games and you're not getting, you know, the national coverage that, you know, Bryce Young is getting, it's, it's really hard to build, a, you know, a, yeah. a Heisman campaign. And, and, you know, there's a lot of reporters in, you know, in this room who vote on the Heisman, and they'll probably admit to you that, you know, the popularity plays into some point. You have to see a guy to know mm-hmm. that he's a right. Heisman candidate, right? So that's where, that's where you know, Rodgers is in that competition. And then, you know, Leach being Leach says that Rodgers hasn't won a starting job yet, though. He says that he's the Heisman, <laughs> you know, he's a Heisman, you know, Heisman favorite, but uh, he hasn't won a starting job yet. So that's, that's about all you need to know about Leach. <laughs> well, hey, it's funny you say that because I was going to ask you about the backup. I keep hearing buzz about him. Uh, he was a touted recruit. What's his name? Robertson? Yeah. Sorry, Robertson, yeah. Is it a case where, you know, it's not that they lack confidence in Will Rogers at all, but is, they have confidence in he's the future and he, he may have to see the field at some point uh, to showcase his talent this this fall? Yeah, so he's, I mean, he's an air raid guy. He's from Texas. He grew up loving Texas Tech, watching right. Mike Leach. Like, he wanted to be a quarterback for Mike Leach. And and he's got all the talent. In the world. I mean, the arm talent is there. The, he, he's got the speed to, to get out of the pocket and make plays happen. Like, he, he's got the potential – uh, and he was pretty impressive in the spring. I mean, he had you know he had his moments. He, he threw a couple interceptions, some of the scrimmages that we went to, and things of that nature. But but he's really you know shown the development that state wants. And you know I asked Leach about that today. I was like, so is this you know an actual quarterback competition, or is this about building depth? And and he says that story has a you know a chance to get the starting job, which. Uh, you know, if Rodgers comes out and struggles early in the games, there's going to probably be some fans who are calling for Sawyer to get the job. Um, but but what's important is they are building that depth. So where, you know, if Will has a good season, there were some – I mean, I saw one projection that, that had Will Rodgers going in the first round of the NFL draft. Yeah. I, I don't know if he has the, the talent and athleticism to be that, but if he puts up the numbers, you're going to have some teams who are definitely interested. If he's a guy who's got first-round attention and he wants to leave after next season – do you have someone in place? That's yeah. where State feels like they do have Sorry Robertson in, in place now. And then a freshman that they just brought in, he was an early enrollee, Braden Lockett. I think he's from Texas as well, another one of those gunslinger-type guys. Well, now if you know when Sawyer is done in two to three years, now you got another guy. So you kind of start this cycle where you're not going to have a gap 
and, and quarterback is so important in Mike Leach's offense, you're not going to have a gap that's empty. So it, it, maybe Sawyer's not going to get the starting job this year, but you're trying to kind of build that domino effect where yeah. 10 years from now you've had four or five quarterbacks who have come through and, and been successful because they've had time to learn, you know, behind a Will Rogers or a Sawyer Robertson and, and, and Braden Locke down the and line. I always heard about the relationship with him, with pi- the Pirate, and I, we like to call him, and <laughs> and uh, Gardner Minshew. You uh-huh. know, it was, it was one of those that – he had to finally give him the confidence right. where he can make those decisions on the. It, are, so you're seeing that now with Will Rogers. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what the real turning point. The Kentucky game is one that comes to mind, but there was a point in the season where where Leach was, you know, said himself like, Will is reading better at the line. His right. he's better with his eyes. Um, you know, people talk about quarterbacks' arm talent, things like that. Like his eyes are developing. Like he's seeing what defenses are bringing. That developed. The, the Kentucky game is the one to come to mind. The game at A&M that they won at A&M, that was a little bit earlier in the season, but you saw a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, maturity from, yeah. from Will and the way he controlled that game. Um, so it, it, it developed as the season went on, and Leach admitted it. And I think going into this year, that that's something that, that you're going to see a ton is, is Will yeah. being comfortable, being the eyes on the field for Leach on the sideline. Yeah. The last thing I got for you, we all know what we're getting from an offense coached by Mike Leach. They're going to yeah. be explosive. They're going to score. Is it as simple to say that this team's going to go as far as the defense, which I love Zach Arnett. I thought his first year he knocked it out of the park. I had him as one of the best coordinators in the SEC. Yeah. I thought they took a step back a little bit, particularly in allowing explosive plays last year. So, you know, what's your concern that the, that they, they don't get that fixed? Yeah, and, and I, I think it was the last time I, I was on your guys' pod, we talked about the secondary a little bit. And, you know, they, they got experienced guys back there who have struggled. So the number one thing you kind of think of is can those guys develop in, you know, the right way? It's not, you know, you can get old and not you know, be right. any better, right? You can s- still say, you know, and as someone who's struggled. too, right? Right, and they, got, and they added some from the port. I mean, you lose Martin Emerson to second round in Cleveland Browns. Like, you're, you're losing a lot there at corner. You bring – you know, Emmanuel Forbes moves to your number one corner now, bringing some guys from the portal who's going to develop as the number two guy. But it was interesting talking to to some of the defensive players. They have the linebacker Nathaniel Watson and uh, defensive tackle Jaden Crumity here for media days and was talking to them about how do you kind of limit those explosive plays because State did a really good job of getting pressure on the quarterback and getting – I mean, they had one of the best run defenses in, in the nation. But they weren't getting sacks. Like, you look at the sacks numbers and they're, and they're not impressive at all. Mm-hmm. So it's like – what what's this next step for the defense? And and they both admitted they were like, you got to bring the quarterback down. You got to finish the play. The longer it takes you to get to the quarterback, whether he's under pressure or not, if you don't bring him down, that's giving more time for those wide receivers to find space. So they they took a lot of the blame for some of those explosive plays. I mean, people will say what they will about the secondary, and you know, you, you can think back to when your favorite football team allowed that devastating big play, and you're, you're automatically like, why is that safety so slow? Why is he not there? A lot of the times, it's the guys up front have to blame, and. Um, I'm going to go out of tangent. The, 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 I'm, I grew up a Bears fan. Okay, I grew up a Bears fan. And, and think back to, like, like Jay Cutler Bears when they're, like, competing with the Packers. Okay, uh-huh. so week 17, Packers-Bears, the winner takes, uh, takes the NFC uh, North division. Well, Rodgers rolls out. Julius Peppers doesn't bring him down. Rodgers rolls out. Tanks one. Chris Conti, I mean, blew the play, right? Like, he was not anywhere. Like, he didn't even know what coverage they were running. It's one of the worst <laughs> secondary plays I've ever seen. But the more I, like – I'm not like a high schooler anymore. Like the more I've like grown up and actually read that, I'm like, you know, if Julius Peppers had just tackled him, right. none of that would have happened, right? So that's the kind of thing where, where State brings back Jordan Davis now. They have a defensive end coming off a of torn ACL who Leach says looks better now than he ever did before. If they can actually bring the quarterback down now with the pressure that they bring, 
those guys in the secondary are not going to catch a lot of flack, and, and you do limit those explosive plays. Yeah, Mike, Mike knows Leach, well. Mike Leach is rubbing off on him, you know what? Mike knows all too well about the Bears, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a big Green Bay guy. Green Bay. There you go. So you probably, you probably remember that oh, player. Yeah. I'm just rolling out just – I think it might have been Greg Jennings who caught it. Maybe, I don't even remember who caught that touchdown. But. Hey, before you get out of here, can you tell the audience how to follow you and, and the work you're doing here at SEC Media Day? Yeah, Twitter is skrajnik3, S-K-R-A-J-I-S-N-I-K-3. Uh, all my work up there. And then, of course, clarionledger.com and keep up with our content. We have, um, you know, Clarion Ledger is part of the USA Today Network, so we have a ton of guys here. I mean, Nick Kelly covering Alabama, Nick Suss covering Ole Miss. Like, we have uh, – the, the network is great, and, and we got a great – a lot of uh, a lot of young reporters, honestly, who, who are led by a lot of uh, a lot of good good editors who are teaching us the ways. And um, and it's got some of the best coverage. So clarionledger.com, and, and you'll have links to all our other sites yeah. on there, too, to read a bunch of stuff. It's uh, – it's a fun time, and it's fun when, when you got some coworkers who are, who are working as hard and uh, effectively as these guys. All right, next, Shane, last but not least here, South Carolina, the yeah. team we've been waiting to discover here. I actually walked in. I was going down to get you some coffee. <laughs> I walk in, and there I am with Beamer eye to eye. It was like I was his coffee man. People probably walking by thought, uh, you know, Beamer needs two coffees, and I got to carry him for him. But uh, that's right. Uh, like you said, man, the energy, the enthusiasm, and unfortunately, a lot of Spencer Rattler. Where was yeah. he talk type deal? But uh, you know, if I'm if I'm a Gamecock, I'm on cloud nine with everything going on with the program. It's it's funny because you, you just never know who you're going to run into up here. You know, I'm coming back. I'm coming back with an Arby's bag and a Sprite, you know, and I run into Tim Tebow, and he looks at me in just pure disappointment. Like, you know, like, <laughs> uh, so we didn't get to talk about exercising, but uh, uh, I, I will say it, it was seeing the Beamer. That's one thing. I, I, there was a lot of pep in the step with the players. There's a lot of pep in the step with, with Beamer. I mean, it started out with the video. Yeah. I mean, Nick Saban's out here, you know, doing his spiel. And then all of a sudden we get this hot reel coming from South Carolina, which just took off like crazy. And I think it's it's perfect. It's it, The timing couldn't be better. Um, I, I, South Carolina, not only are they just on cloud nine with the, with the hype train, but the social media team, brother, they need a raise. Yeah, no doubt. Shout out Justin King. He's, <laughs> he's a great media operations guy there. But you have these guys coming back, so many seniors that chose, made the decision. Gwen told us the offensive line got together and kind of made that decision. What does that mean to you to know so many guys were invested in what you were doing last year? And what can you tell us about what, what it's really like that these guys would want to come back and, and be a part of this? Nah, great question point. I, I appreciate that. Um, it was very gratifying and, and, and humbling when they told me that. I'll be honest with you, like going into the bowl game, I wasn't sure about Zach. Um, he may have told you otherwise. I think he was probably leaning maybe towards going out. Um, but to, to the month of December is kind of a crazy time. You're getting ready for a bowl game. You're trying to sign a high school recruiting class. You're dealing with the transfer portal, and you're trying to figure out who on your own roster is opting out of bowl games, who's playing in the bowl game, who is leaving early for the NFL. So there was a lot going on. And uh, I remember meeting with those guys like Javon and like Zach and some other ones that I knew had decisions to make. And, and it was a pretty cool moment when Javon, Gwynn, and the offensive line told me that they were coming back because they felt like they didn't accomplish what they wanted to accomplish and that they could be not only better players, but that 
they wanted to win more than seven games, but they also told me that they felt like they didn't do their job as leaders on the team last year. So that was pretty cool to hear. To hear. And then I remember we had the great bowl win over North Carolina, and, and uh, Zach and his mom, I think, were going to lunch the next day. And I remember driving in the car home from the facility, and uh, I think I got caught by train. You guys from Columbia will know that. And I was on the phone with him, and he was getting ready to go to lunch, and, and it's kind of like phew, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that – that um, he's going to make the decision. That's best for him, but but hopefully he comes back. And when he decided to, that was a great moment as well. So it's it's a testament to what we're doing in the program that our players uh, saw last season what we're about. That it's not just talk; it's it's actions as well. And and that they want to continue to be a part of it, and they're in, they're in they're enjoying it. And and I told the guys down, the ladies downstairs, and guys like I want this program to be a place. Don't get me wrong; it's it's not easy being a football player here. It's hard work. It's demanding. You're held accountable. But I don't ever want our players to dread walking into our facility each day. And they don't. Uh, they they look forward to coming in there each day, and that's because of the people that we have in that facility. Back central, hey, Mike. Um, Shane, you know, whether fear or unfear, the offensive line took some scrutiny by some last season. You know, number one, how excited are you to be able to have all those starters back? And number two, something that was a little under the radar, but was reported last year, being able to have a healthy Greg Atkins knock on wood back and just the importance that he brings to the team as an offensive line coach. Yeah, um, certainly when you return everyone on the offensive line like we did, I mean, that's a great uh, advantage for any program and they've played a lot of football together uh, you know from playing football like the continuity that you got to have on all, with all five positions those guys uh, they work well together Javon and Eric Douglas and, and, and them they've they've had uh, they've played a lot of snaps so to have those guys back and to come back hungry and they got beat up last year and, and there were certainly they'll be the first to tell you that they needed to uh, needed to play better a lot of you guys that were, were at some of the Gamecock Club events that I did in the spring, and I said this at every Gamecock Club, and it's true. Like, it's easy when the running game doesn't look good to blame the offensive line. And it's easy when the quarterback gets sacked to blame the offensive line. Well, it's not always that simple. You know, sometimes the tight end may have missed a block, or a wide receiver should have come in here and push cracked on the safety, and he didn't, and the safety hits the running back in the backfield for, a, for no game. Or the quarterback gets hit in the back of the head, well, we may have been in a pass protection where we were only protecting with five players, and the defense rushed six. Well, simple math tells you if the defense is bringing six and you only got five guys blocking for you, if you're the quarterback, you better get rid of the freaking ball. And that didn't always happen last year. So we got to be better as coaches, coaching that up. Uh, but the offensive line is a lot like the quarterback. Sometimes I think it gets too much blame and too much credit when things are bad and good. Uh, but I, I love these guys on the offensive line. They didn't miss a single practice during spring practice, not one. So 15 spring practices, and we didn't have a single offensive lineman miss a practice for an injury or anything. So they're tough, they're durable, love that about them. And then to have uh, Greg Atkins back, I was with Greg as the offensive he was the off. He was coaching line at Tennessee when I was a graduate assistant. He's got NFL experience. He's a great coach. Lonnie Teasley, who is an offensive analyst for us and, and is involved in our offensive line, is a fantastic offensive line coach in his own uh, in, in his own way as well. So excited about both those guys being back. What do you like about Spencer Rattler from a tangibles and intangibles perspective? And then what specifically do you look for from a quarterback, especially in the transfer portal? Yeah, as far as Spencer, you know, I like his – there's a lot to like. Um, obviously, the talent speaks for itself, but um, – 
the thing that was really attractive about Spencer beyond the talent was just the fact that he's played a lot of football. And if you look at our quarterback room, when I was here last year, Luke Doty was our starting quarterback. And he had the most experience, and I think he had started three games as a college quarterback and was really a freshman still in my mind. So to be able to add a guy like Spencer who has the experience that he has, he's been through the fire before, he's won a conference championship, uh, was a no-brainer. And, and, and then as far as what we look for, you know, I think for the quarterback position, it's, it's accuracy, you know, first and foremost. You've got to be accurate. In today's time, you've got to be athletic enough to – Get yourself out of trouble. That doesn't mean you have to be uh, Kyler Murray like I was around at Oklahoma or whoever, but you've got to be athletic enough to get yourself out of trouble. And then just uh, that, you know, the competitive spirit and the leadership qualities that you want uh, at that position. And, and from being around, or being around Spencer at Oklahoma, uh, I knew he had what we were looking but, uh, for. Uh, like I said, we got two South Carolina interviews. Yeah. Ben Portnoy from the state, Mike mm -hmm. Yuva. Gamecock Central. Yeah. Let's kick it over to these back. With the golden back. voice. Thanks for joining the show. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> yeah, happy. I, I got a face for radio, so. <laughs> ben Portnoy of the state. Of course, you cover South Carolina and everything going trending with that program. I cannot thank you enough for joining us here live on Radio Row. What's it like covering the Gamecocks right now with, my God, Ben. I mean, I, I tied up South Carolina. These fans, they get mad. Like I put Spencer Rattler, sixth best quarterback in the SEC, that said, why the disrespect? I, I didn't think I was being disrespectful. What's it like covering this team on the rise right now? Yeah, it's definitely been crazy. I mean, I think you look at it, there's there's just a lot of excitement around the program, for better or worse. Some of it, I think, is it can get a little crazy. I mean, I think you got folks talking about winning an SEC East <laughs> title, and I think it's easy to get, get kind of riled up on that side of things. But, you know, I mean, there's reason to be excited, right? You look at where this program was about a year and a half ago, really, when Shane Beamer took over. You're coming off a two-win season. It was a four-win season before that. Mm -hmm. Things had kind of tanked a little bit. You had a lot of guys transferring out. I mean, at one point, South Carolina had two scholarship quarterbacks on its roster in, I guess, January, February after Shane Beamer had taken over and, you know, had the carousel of quarterbacks last year and <laughs> still won seven games. So, I mean, the fact that you go out, you beat Auburn, you beat Florida, you catch those teams at the right time, sure, so you t peel, peel the layers back a little bit there, but at the same time, like, you're winning games that you weren't really necessarily expected to. You go and blow the doors off North Carolina in the bowl game, and all of a sudden people are really excited. And like you mentioned, Spencer Rattler being added to the equation. Some of the other guys that they brought in through the transfer portal I think are going to be really big impact guys quickly. So you add all those things together, and, I mean, there's reason. It, it makes sense why people are excited and, you know, why a lot of people think that, you know, South Carolina is kind of the, uh, the, the fun pick this year, right, <laughs> to be, you know, to, to push up, uh, pushing the SEC East a little bit. Uh, speaking of fun, I, I, I saw your tweet just earlier. You know, could you imagine Nick Saban coming out with Viper sunglasses, <laughs> I <laughs> grabbing the mic? <laughs> I literally said to someone down there as soon as I was coming up here, like, can you guys imagine, like, Kirby Smart going through this whole deal? Like, I mean, look, like, there's enough craziness with college football coaches and everything like that, and guys handle their business differently, and I get that. But Shane Beamer is one of those guys that I think that when you talk to people around the program, mm -hmm. around college football, Guys just love playing for them, and I yeah. think it makes a lot – like there's a reason why they're bringing in guys they are, right? Guys love playing for the guy. The right. same thing could be said about his dad at Virginia Tech for years, right? Frank Beamer was always one of the ultimate kind of good guys in college right, football. Yeah. And, and I think Shane's got a lot of that going for him too. And I think that, you know, he's just one of those guys that he gets kids these this age. He connects well with parents, families, kids, whatever. Like, you know, we always joke at booster events and stuff that, you know, 
if Shane was sitting in the crowd, you couldn't pick him out of the crowd. I mean, he's just kind of like your, your average guy, and in the best way possible, right? I mean, he's just an easy guy to get along with, like a guy that I think players love being around, staff loves being around, and I think that, you know, when you see videos of him dancing in Pit Viper sunglasses and, you know, <laughs> rapping in the team, the defensive team meeting room, it's uh, – it's a different animal, and yeah. I think, but but it's things like that that add to sort of the excitement and, right. and sort of the fervor for it, and why people get so and riled it, up and it, excited. It kind of feels like the changing of the guard, you know, this next generation really embracing the social media. You know, I've seen them on TikTok. I'm seeing them doing these dances and and just having fun. <laughs> what was a uh, Lane Kiffin with the Bentley, and uh, yep. you know, it's just. It's just you don't see that with these older guys that maybe don't have to, but this next crop, it's going to be where's the fun place to play and who's paying me with the NIL. Yeah, it is, and and I think that that's the thing that's so interesting is that you know South Carolina obviously like the history's not there, right? right. So you got to be doing something a little bit different, whether that's you know how you're recruiting, how you're pitching, whatever that is, right? And I think that when you've got a guy like Shane Beamer who gets is who first of all is as involved in the recruiting process as any head coach that I've yeah. been around. And then you throw in sort of the fun factor, right? And now, like, I think the thing that people misconstrue is, like, people think Shane Beamer's not a competitive guy. That's one of the most competitive dudes I've ever been around or seen. But being able to have that fun side of it, like, I don't think there's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of fluff with Shane Beamer. Right. Like, he is a re about as real as you're going to get from a college football yeah. coach. And I think people – that, that means a lot to recruits, to players, to coaches. Absolutely. I mean, even the guys that you're seeing that South Carolina is even in on that maybe they don't get. Like, you look at a guy like Shandavian Bradley who just committed to Tennessee. But, you know, South Carolina was right in the middle of that, really late in the process. Right. And wasn't really in it for most of the process until they got him on campus and Absolutely. things like that and connected really well with the staff and still talked about how great he – how much he yeah. loved that staff. So I think that, you know – when you're hearing those, you're hearing the same things over right. and over again. And I think that it's one thing to hear it once, but when you hear it over and over again, there's a pattern to it. And I think that that's what you're saying. And to touch on that, the portal, you know, I mean, who knows? The kid may not work out at Tennessee, and there he is. Okay, I should have stayed with South Carolina. So uh, That's I, my favorite thing about the portal, though. I just want to ask one more question. Uh -huh. I know Mike's not used to me asking questions, but I, <laughs> I'm buying into the South Carolina <laughs> hype here. But the number one question that I know you're probably getting all the time is, where the hell is Rattler? Where is he? <laughs> it's – it's interesting. I think there's uh, I think there's two schools of thought because what people really are excited about is hearing reporters complain, right? But right. Uh, you know, I think that you know, I, I think that the thought is right. If you bring Spencer, it does does it turn into okay? Like we just want to ask him about Oklahoma and what the hell happened there? Yeah. Or is the other side of it okay? Well, if you don't bring him, then you end up bringing three guys who are all going to ask, ask ask about Spencer Rattler. So it's sort of like <laughs> there's no winning here. I get it. It's it's a little bit of a bummer. I was definitely a little bit bummed out, but. Yeah. You know, I get it, but it, it would have been nice, I think. Absolutely. And I think that I'm not the only one in the room who would say that that would, uh, that yeah. would have added some, some fun to Absolutely. the equation. Well, South Carolina, we've got a loaded table out here asking Bryce a million questions. That could have been South Carolina capitalizing right. on social media. It just didn't make sense to me why he wouldn't be here. And to me, that was something that was interesting, too, because I think, you know, for – say what you will about Shane Beamer, but one of the things that they've done really, really well out of – more better than any, you know – as, as well as any coach in America as they've capitalized on sort of, you know, yeah. the, the good publicity, I guess you want to call it. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where if you can get microphones in front of folks yeah. and, and build some excitement and things like that. Like, usually South Carolina's really been really on top of that. So it's not necessarily a missed opportunity or a blunder or anything like that. That's probably going a little too deep on it, but it's sort of like, eh, okay, that would have been interesting yeah. to have Rattler here. Now, I was going to ask you about the transfer portal, of course. You know, last time we had you on, you talked about that. You hit on all the guys South Carolina's added. But that is just like a, a variable that we just don't know how it works out because it's so new. But it looks like South Carolina's added a, a hell of a lot, on, especially on offense, productive guys ready to go in there. So what, what is the ceiling for this offense with Spencer Rattler? And 
I know South Carolina fans are not high on Marcus Satterfield, but now that he's got all these weapons, I think overnight he's going to become a better coach. You know what? Yeah, it's it's amazing how, you know, coaches look a lot better when they've got some good players around <laughs> them. It's, it's as simple as that, right? You know, if only it was that simple, right? But I, I think that, you know, when you look at what South Carolina's got right now, and especially through the transfer portal, you look at a guy like Corey Rucker from Arkansas State, uh, a guy like Juice Wells from James Madison. I mean, I think both of those guys are legit, like, SEC receivers. I think Juice Wells isn't, you know, a guy that if you look up at the end of the season and he's, you know, a second-team All-SEC guy, like, yeah. that's the kind of good that these guys can be. And I think that that makes a big difference. I think it's – you know, you've got guys in skill positions that can really stretch the defense in a way that South Carolina couldn't last year. And then you throw in guys that bring, you bring back, right? Jaheim Bell's a guy that can play just about anywhere on the field, short of quarterback, basically. And I think you're going to see him all over the place and could be a first-round pick next year. Austin Stogner, who comes in from Oklahoma with Spencer yeah. Rattler, that you know sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. I mean, he's a guy that a lot of people have on NFL radars if he stays healthy. Um, you know, I know that's an if, but it, you've got a lot of pieces there. And then Josh Van, who was their leading receiver last mm-hmm. year and had a really, really big breakout year last year. I mean, you've got all those pieces again. I was joking with someone on the staff you know, recently as they were saying, you know, Last year it was sort of figuring out who to put on the field. Now i got to figure out how to get everyone on the field. <laughs> and it's a totally different animal. And, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but you got a lot of pieces there that to feel really good about what they can do offensively. Now the offensive line was a problem, and, you know, there's something to be said for continuity on the offensive line, right? Same guys playing with the same guys. But, you know, for South Carolina it's sort of like, okay, you're bringing back the whole offensive line, but the problem is you're also bringing back the whole offensive line because they rank, you know, <laughs> just about at the bottom of the SEC and just about everything blocking-wise. So, it's not all on the offensive line, but I think that, like, to be fair, that group can't be much worse than it was. So it's right. a pretty low bar to clear, right, on paper, that that group doesn't have to be that much better for this team to take a big step forward because I think they did upgrade so much at skill position that the offensive line just has to give it enough time to develop. And I think running back, they're going to be good again. You lost your two top rushers in Kevin Harrison's Quandre White, but you, you've still got Marshawn Lloyd, who's you know basically a fringe four-star, five-star recruit. Absolutely. In the 2019 class, um, you know, Christian Beal Smith comes over from Wake Forest. And, you know, folks who aren't familiar with him, you know, he was in the same, uh, you know, he's a guy that led, led Wake Forest in rushing the last two years. So y- you've got pieces there. And I think that that's why people are so optimistic. I think the defense is going to be good again. I think, you know, maybe they won't lead the SEC in takeaways again, but they're going to be good again. And even if they take a slight step back, I think that group's going to be good enough to keep you in some games. So. Are you are you a little worried about that optimism? Because here Jordan just on national TV said he's got him second in the East. So I, I'm just that's a, that's a high bar. That schedule's that tricky too. Georgia State, you can't overlook them. We, we're Tennessee <laughs> no, people. We know no. that. They yeah, should have been Auburn last year. Uh, then at Auburn, Arkansas, yeah. Georgia, right out the gate. Yeah, it's a. Tr- I mean, you're, you're staring like one and two. Uh, I mean, not necessarily zero oh and three. You don't necessarily think that you're going to lose the game to Georgia State, but you're staring one and two in the face with that trip to Arkansas week two. Like yeah. that's the biggest game of the season to me. And I know it's super early, and I know you're in a weird way. It's probably better you're playing that Arkansas team early than late. I mean, they got a lot of pieces to fill and figure out in a little bit. I mean, I know you know Bumper pulls back for what is 117th <laughs> year of eligibility, but like you know, I think I, I think KJ Jefferson's as good a quarterback as there is in this yeah. league, and and he's a tough matchup to deal with and. Um, you know, that's a different animal, and South Carolina was not great against the run last year, and that's something you worry about a little bit with Arkansas and, and what K.J. Jefferson can bring on that side of the ball too. So I, I think, like, that's the game that I circle and say, hey, okay, if this team's going to go 
if this team wins six or seven, like to me, a successful season to South Carolina looks like you get to you know six, seven wins in a bowl game, but you look better in the games that you lose. Like yeah. that's success, even though if the win-loss column doesn't necessarily match that, folks will say, oh well, they won seven games last year, they won seven games this year. Like it's not exactly linear, but there's more to it than right. that. You know, don't get run off the field by Tennessee. Don't right. lose thirty to nothing to Clemson and be you know not competitive at all. Right. Like be competitive in the games you lose, and I think you know keep that win mark somewhere around six, seven. Now, if you win an Arkansas game, then you're looking at, okay, can they get to eight? Can they get to nine? They go to Kentucky, which, I mean, at this rate, like, you have to consider that a loss more often than not with what yeah. Mark Stoops has got going. So it's, it's tricky. I think that because the SEC East is so sort of, I don't know if loaded's the right word, but you've got so many teams there right in the middle of the pack yeah. that are all kind of like sort of trying to punch up a little bit. And I think that's whether you want us to call it Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, like all those programs are kind of in the same spot and all are, you can all kind of talk yourself yeah. into, yeah, they could win eight, nine games, right? Why not? Only like one or two of those teams is going to win eight or nine games. <laughs> that's just, kind of, I, I'm not a math expert, but that's generally how it works, right? right? So I think that, you know, if that's the case, you've got to, you, you've got to be able to, You've got to be able to capitalize on some of these games. Like Arkansas and, is the one, I think. And their fan base will be pissed if you don't pick them. <laughs> you know, like, trust me. Trust, trust me. me. Kentucky. I mean. <laughs> I, listen, I'm still catching hell for picking South Carolina to lose four, win four games last year. So I may not hear the end of that for the rest of my life. But it's all right. So it's part of it. Right? Hey, well, you can make that up right now. Final question for me. Spencer Rattler, end of the season, when he's in the Heisman finalist, what, what place is he finishing? Ooh, I'm going to say oh, fourth. Okay. I think he's got a shot. Like, I think he's going to put up numbers. And I think I'm interested to see him in this offense because it is different than what they ran at Oklahoma. Yeah. It's a little more pro style. It's less. I would. It's, it's less no huddle. I would maybe even argue South Carolina right now has better weapons than Oklahoma after all the all the it's, players left. It's true, and I think that's something that people don't realize or, or maybe overlook, whatever you want to call it. Like, the South Carolina team's got pieces offensively, yeah. and I think that it's easy to look at it. And I think that you know I even fall into it, or I'm like, oh, it's South Carolina. Like, are they really going to win eight, nine games? Right. It's hard to like actually make that projection, right? Like, it's easy to say, hey, Florida's probably going to figure it out and win nine games. Like, those things are easy to do because Florida's done it for 30 years since right. Spurrier, right? And I know things have been sort of a mess, but it's harder to put the pick that with South Carolina it's harder to do go sort of go buck tradition a little bit and I think that you know Shane Beamer deserves a lot of credit for last year but then you know South Carolina's in a spot where they really can capitalize and, and you know Spencer Rattler is going to be a big piece of that I mean if, if he looks the part of what he was in 2020 at Oklahoma uh, that's the kind of guy that can go out and win you a ball game or two just yeah. on his arm I mean he can show up and throw 350 yards and four touchdowns and go beat Arkansas like that's the kind of thing that South Carolina didn't have last year that they've got this year and I think makes it so hard to peg them because that is such an unknown. Yeah. Hey, before you take off, Ben, can you tell the audience how to find your work and, and, and what you got going on down here at Media Days? Yeah, definitely. You can find me on state.com or at bportnoy15 on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we'll have coverage all week. So I'll be here through through Thursday, so the rest of the week. And lots going on with South Carolina here today with Shane Beamer and that crew coming through. So it should be, should be fun. Awesome. Thank you Thank, so much, Thank man. you for Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Sitting here recording, recording. All right, pleased to be joined by Mike Yuva. You know, I gotta say, Mike, you have there's there's hundreds, if not thousands, of, of media people here. You're an Emmy winner, you're a South Carolina insider, but I hate to say, I mean my favorite thing about you, Bojangles named a freaking sandwich <laughs> after well, you. Not a lot of uh Massachusetts Division Two corners were getting NIL deals, so it's about ten years too late, <laughs> but you know, we just re upped our deal, so here we yeah, go. Yeah, some free Bojangles there. Uh, but no, it's it's I, I, I joked around with I think it was Peter Burns last night at Chris Dorian. I said it's going to be my uh, 
my Al Bundy moment. You know, years <laughs> yeah. from now, I'm going to be telling everyone about it. Like that will be Bo my Jangles guy. That will be my four <laughs> touchdowns in one one game at Pokai moment. You know. <laughs> Well, but, is there a better meal than the four-piece supreme? I mean, if we're talking Bojangles here. <laughs> no, we have to. We have to say the Yuva. That's what they named after me. I'll tell you, I got a lot of buddies that are Bojangles mm. friends, but you may be the one that's only in shape, you know? <laughs> so, I don't know if you're eating one a week or what. Well, you, eat, you, eat, you, eat five, you eat five a week, and you look just like this. You know, that's, that's the secret, you know? Forget Weight Watchers. All you need to do is some Bo, Bojangles, there put is. a little uh, that legendary diet. iced tea. You're Thank good you. to go. So, obviously, you're here to cover the Gamecocks. Mm-hmm. So much optimism there. Uh, Shane Beamer's got that thing rolling, killing it in the transfer portal. Uh, I mean, how great of a time is this for Gamecock Central to be covering a program on the rise in the East? It's special. I mean, this is my seventh season covering the Gamecocks. I've yeah. covered the, the SEC for eight years. The buzz right now is higher than I've ever uh-huh. seen it. Uh, but then you go back to even the days when Spurrier was there. You talk to the Marcus Lattimore's of the world, the Elshon Jeffries of the world, the Steven Garcia's. And they're more excited, it seems like, now than what it was like back then. You know, when they're going out yeah. there beating Alabama, <laughs> pulling off upsets because they, number one, they know what Shane's all about because they remember what he was like when he was an assistant under Spurrier during those earlier days in his coaching tenure career. Now he's here as a head coach, and he's implemented a lot of that. But at the same time, too, after what took place over the last couple seasons, just the apathy that – set in with not just the fan base, but I think even some former players towards yeah. the end of the Will Muschamp era, I think it's just brought them that excitement back. So the fact that you have Shane, he's just a likable guy. He's very, you know, just authentic. You have the seven wins last season, but you're able to get Spencer Rattler in the offseason. You're able to add pieces like free agency through the transfer portal. It's just added to that. So there's just a buzz right now in Columbia that's very special. So, you know, obviously at Gamecock Central, us making the move to on three, the timing couldn't be any better because the buzz is at an all-time high right now. So the way Beamer's building his program, you think – it's more sustainable for long-term success in the SEC, you think? Only time will tell, and that's a question that I'm sure he's going to be asked today. I mean, I think the reality comes down to is this. You have to be able to, number one, you have to win games, but if you want to continue to take advantage of the transfer portal, guys like Spencer Rattler, guys that are coming in, the Christian Beal Smiths at running back, the Devontae Reeds at safety, you need to be able to have them have success. Yeah. And they need to be able to make an impact when they get here so that when he goes to the transfer portal next season or for years to come, he's able to point to those guys as examples. You know, one guy that I'm always going to use because I played Division II football at the same school as him was Carlin Spatel. He played at Division II school in Massachusetts. He transferred into South Carolina last season. He had one year left, started the last six, seven games at Nickel, and now he just signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So when you have examples like that, you can point to them as a coach and say, hey, look, you have one year left. Right. doesn't matter where you started your career, whether it be Division II Assumption College or Oklahoma, in this case, it's Spencer Rattler. If they go on to have success, you're going to have success when it comes to recruiting for years to come, or at least the next year. <laughs> so I think, I think to answer your question, it, it's a combination of obviously success as a program, but the individual success as players when, they, when you do get them from transfer, as transfers because you, have, you can use them as examples because players are going to want to know, okay, why, why should I come here? Yeah. Well, you should come here because, all right, you know, we have a good program. But at the same time, too, look what we've been able to do with players to develop them to take their game to the next level. And they've gone on and done some great things, and now they're in the NFL. Mm. Are you worried about the expectations coming in? Uh, we talked earlier about Palmer. Oh, me? No. Shoot, I haven't played in years. I don't think I'm going to pull anything. Uh, no, I think, I think here's the reality of it. 
and I've said this before, South Carolina's schedule, look, it's the SEC. I yeah. remember asking George Rogers this question a couple of years ago about how, you know, how tough the schedule is. He's like, Mike, it's the SEC. He's like, yeah. it's always going to be tough. So Gamecock fans complaining, it's like, it's always going to be tough. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it and seeing that they have to play Arkansas week two mm -hmm. on the road, and then you got Georgia week three, it's a possibility South Carolina starts the year off one and two because you have a combination of difficult schedule on top of the fact that Rattler and this offense are going to be doing everything they can to be meshing and trying to come together as quickly as possible. So, yes, there's a possibility they start the year off one and two. Even though it's year two, I still believe it's the honeymoon phase that everyone's, right. you know, holding hands, singing Kumbaya, Columbia's all a beautiful place right now. <laughs> that, will, that will change quickly. Yeah. All the praise that you're hearing about Beamer right now, it, will, it can turn quickly. You know, Beamer's not ready to be a head coach. I knew it. He got lucky last season. Rattler's all dried up. Yeah. You watch how quickly that happens. I say all that because if that does happen, how do these players respond to it? Because yeah. for a majority of this team, when you look at it, right, last season, seven wins. The year before that, in the two seasons before that, they had six wins combined. Yeah. So the majority of this roster, they don't know what success looks like. Is that the same type of success as Georgia? No. Is it the same type of success as Alabama? No. But it's success, seven wins. Right. How do they handle that now that everyone's telling them how great they are? If they start off one and two, that will change quickly. How do they bounce back from that? So that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking I say not forward to. Don't want to see them obviously start off one and two. But that's one of the things I'm interested to see if they do take some hiccups early on in the year. Well, two of the, the biggest breakout candidates in the SEC last fall, Ole Miss and Arkansas, you know what they had in common? Super seniors. Mm -hmm. That's what South Carolina's got coming in the year, this year. I believe the number's 15, which uh, I don't know if there's a, a higher number in the SEC. Do you think that could lead to Gamecocks? Again, I, we, we realize how difficult the schedule is, but could that lead to the Gamecocks uh, exceeding expectations potentially? It certainly can help. And I think the best thing that has happened to this program, when you talk about those super seniors or just seniors in general, even juniors, how quickly they bought in to Shane Beamer and just what this coaching staff's trying to do because you go into year one, the seniors that you already have there, right, they're not, they're not Beamer guys. They were recruited by Muschamp, right. right? Yeah, you might get some transfers to come in, but they're not Beamer guys. Right. Whatever they do and however they go about things, that's how the underclassmen are going to respond because they're going to think that's the norm, right? So the freshmen last year, the Juju McDowell's of the world, they're going to see how the upperclassmen handle their business. Mm -hmm. And if it's like, oh, I don't agree with what this coach is doing, I'm not saying that you can't overcome it. It's just going to take a little bit longer. So the fact that these players bought in as quickly as they did, it really allowed South Carolina to put themselves in a situation heading into year two that, of course, the expectations are higher, but they're in a better position right now than I think a lot of people expected them to be in comparison to when they, when they fired Will Muschamp yeah. and where they were before they hired Shane. So does that mean – South Carolina is going to go win the, the SEC East this year. I'm not saying that, but I think when you talk about where they are in terms of, okay, we want to say a three-year plan, four-year plan when Beamer got hired compared to, you know, December of 2020 we got hired, I think they're in a much better spot right now, and a large part of that has to do with the upperclassmen, the super seniors, and just how they responded last season as a year younger. Mm -hmm. Now let me ask you this. Who's a better uh, corner prospect going into their senior year? Mike Yuva out of uh, Assumption or Cam Smith there, the uh, preseason All-American? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that this is the year I finally get the call. You know, I mean, we've seen some good, we've seen some good things out of Division II guys. I mentioned Carlins Patel, uh, Malcolm Butler. I remember seeing Malcolm 
when he was coming out of college and uh, playing in the Medal of Honor Bowl, yeah. the old Medal of Honor That's Bowl. Right. And, I uh, thought you were going to play quarterback last year. Yeah. <laughs> they need, if they need me, if they need me, hopefully. Um, but I'll tell you about Cam. So I had the chance to cover him in high school. He's really grown. And I think what I'm more impressed with him more than anything is just the maturity because there were times where, you know, he'd get down on himself. There were times where he'd get a bonehead penalty after the play maybe. What I think has helped him out a lot is he's had to grow up off the field because of his birth of his daughter. So I think that's allowed him to mature in that sense, but he's become a leader on this defense, and he's finally healthy. You know, yeah. knock on wood, you know. Uh-huh. So heading into this season, I think he's a player that's going to get tested early on. And we've seen South Carolina produce some very talented defensive backs. I mean, shoot, you don't have to go back too long to see J.C. Horn being the first mm-hmm. defensive player picked right. in the year prior to the, the NFL draft. So I think with Cam more than anything is how are they going to use him? He has the ability to play outside that traditional corner spot, but his skill set, which makes him just so versatile, I think that's what's going to help him from an NFL standpoint when you talk about stock is he has the ability to play that nickel spot. So where do we see him lined up? I think the answer is we're going to see him all over the place. The question is where does South Carolina need him to play the most? I think you can see him play more nickel to start the year, and then until South Carolina feels comfortable to be able to move him more outside. Yeah. Um, and, you know, matchups. I think it's all going to come down to matchups as well. I got a player question because I've, I've watched Marshawn Lloyd since day one. I've never been more excited to see a running back Obviously, the, the path hasn't been easy for him, but do we see a breakout season this year? I mean, I don't think we see loaded boxes like we've had, you know, last year, but I, I just think this is a year that Lloyd just pops. I think we do. Now, I'm going to preface all that by saying this. What is it going to look like now that you have Spencer Rattler? Yeah. What is it going to look like now that you have Christian Beale Smith, who after preseason, a preseason, excuse me, um, spring ball, the coaches were very impressed with. So what does that makeup look like? What does the workload look like? But one thing I can tell you about Marshawn is he is mentally back. Yeah. He's not thinking about the injury. He had numerous conversations, because I do a podcast with Marcus Lattimore, and Marcus shared a lot of the conversations he had with Marshawn away from you know, the cameras and all that. Mm-hmm. Marshawn was just thinking so much, and it happens. It's not even, it doesn't even have to be an ACL injury. It could be yeah. a foot injury. I mean, it could be anything, lower body injuries, where you're thinking every time you make a cut. Mm-hmm. So Marshawn going into this season, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling good. But he never took a hit in a college game. Yeah. You know, so yeah. coming back, he was himself. He feels good this spring. He was really moving around great. I think you're going to see a kid that, number one, is just ready to go. He's committed yeah. to the point where this offseason – because he's good friends with Luke Doty, he rooms with him. Luke wants to give him like a chocolate chip cookie. He won't put that in his body. You know, he doesn't want to screw up the, the Ferrari, if you will. Yeah. So he's doing everything he can. That's how committed he is. But I think more like than anything, <laughs> that makes three of us. He's not putting any Bojangles in him. Um, but he, he's just the type of guy that is just so locked in yeah. mentally. He's just going to go out there and just play. And, and, and I think that's the he biggest needs to thing. Get hit. That's Week day one needs to get he needs to and he's the type of player when he does get hit yeah that's when he gets better that's good but the beauty is with their running back I mean you could say thunder lightning and then some hail I mean I don't know they got they have three very talented running backs Christian Beale Smith is going to be someone who I, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to look at Marshawn and rightfully so and then Juju McDowell what a fun guy just to watch yeah. I mean the guy can just do it all you get him the ball I mean, he's just juking guys left and right. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what they do. Um, 
in that running back room. Yeah. Last thing I got for you, Mike. You know, last year, obviously, a lot of criticism from Marcus Satterfield, but it'll be a, people will be amazed how good of a coach you are when you get this <laughs> influx of talent yep. on the offensive side. Of, there should be loaded with weapons around Spencer Rattler. What's the ceiling for this offense, you think, with uh, Marcus Satterfield engineering it? I think the ceiling is the, the ability to finish second in the SEC East, and it all comes down to how quickly they can start meshing early on in the season, going to that Arkansas game. If they can start the year off 2-1, and one, I think that changes everything. Because even though right now, and I haven't made my decision, not that I'm sure everyone's holding their breath waiting to see what I'm going to make a decision <laughs> on the East and West picks, but right now it's like, all right, I can see Tennessee finishing ahead of South Carolina in the SEC East, but yet I can see South Carolina beating Tennessee. Yeah. And the reason being is because I think South Carolina, as the season goes on, I think they are going to get better. I think the offense is going to start to find their stride. One thing I will mention, though, because there's some people that are, you know, even Gamecock fans, they're worried about the offensive line. Yeah. Well, this is two things I'd say about that. One, you bring everyone back. Some Gamecock fans probably still are like, oh, great. <laughs> Number two, and I think this is the biggest part, and it wasn't really as reported as much as it probably should have. Greg Atkins, who was in his first year last year as the offensive line coach, he was dealing with a lot of health issues. He was away from the team multiple times last season. When you don't have a first-year offensive line coach, especially when you're having issues with you know trying to click from an offensive standpoint and just trying to figure out what is working, right? When you don't have the same coach teaching you everything, it's going to throw things off a little bit. Greg is in um, great health right now. He's doing awesome. Um, knock on wood again that he's going to be fine. But being able to have him around, as you would hope for any coach, is going to be huge for them, especially going on to year two. So I think you're going to see an improvement from the offensive line. I think more than anything, though, Spencer Rattler, and I keep using this description, he's going to be makeup. He's going to be covering the blemishes of that offense. You don't need All-Americans across the board at O-line, receiver, running back. He's talented enough to be able to give you a little bit something to be able to make it look a little bit yeah. better. And as we saw last year with South Carolina, there were a couple games, of course, that they squeaked him out. But yep. there were in other games, though, they also had the chance to be able to pull out. Mm -hmm. Having a guy like Rattler could make the difference with being able to win two additional games this year. On your way out, can you tell the audience where to find you and what you'll be up to here at uh, SEC Media Days? Uh, I'll be... Uh, I'll be getting ready for the big uh, media reception party, hopefully, if we finish everything off on time. Uh, <laughs> hopefully my boss isn't here at me then. Brian, I'll bring you back a drink. <laughs> Complimentary cocktail to go. Uh, you can follow me, Mike underscore UVA. We are on Gamecock Central as well. If you are an on three member, it doesn't even matter if you're a Gamecock fan. Depending on who you follow, if you are an on three, you have the ability to read our content as well. So go check it out. On three is doing a great job. We're really looking forward to uh, season number two. Yeah. over there with those guys. So, well, first season for us at Gamecock Central and on three, but second season for on three just as a whole. So very excited. It's going to be a fun week. Good to be back in Atlanta, a little spaced out. Hopefully that weather will slow down, and uh, Shane Beamer will be speaking to the media. I know we're taping this around noon, but uh, he'll be getting here shortly. So looking forward right. to it. Thank you very much, Thank you for your oh, I appreciate you guys. You guys do a great job. Thank you. And then, hey, a little bonus here. They're not officially in the SEC, of course, not yet. But Texas is coming. Yeah. And Anwar Richardson, this may have been my favorite interview of the day. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I miss one. Shane went to lunch, <laughs> and Anwar showed up, so I had to get him. Yeah. We talked Arch. We talked Sarkeesian. We talked Texas A&M. Yeah. Man, just wait till you catch this one, Jay. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's what he kept saying. Mike said, oh, my God, this is the best interview ever. You know, and here I am getting judged by Tim Tebow at the hall. <laughs>
Oh, but those mozzarella sticks were great. <laughs> Anwar Richardson, once again, joining the show. First time, though. Well, we had you on basically this time last year mm -hmm. for SEC Media Days for a much different reason. Coming off Big 12 Media Days, what's your first uh, experience like here at SEC Media Days? Well, it's definitely different. <laughs> when they say it means more, definitely, uh, you know, definitely means more. You know, become it's so funny when I was at uh, Big 12 Media Days last week and, uh, you know, um, going through that whole process, um, covering it, thinking, you know, you're doing certain things. And then I've had multiple people at SEC Media Days when I introduced myself and they was like, oh, you cover Texas? Yeah, I know who you are, this and that. And they go, each person has said, so when is Big 12 Media Days? And I go, it was, it was last week. <laughs> so I, I already knew, like, all right, this is the one that counts. And this is, you know, I always said if when it comes to, you know, Media Days, you know, it's SEC. It's like you think of it like a concert, right? Mm -hmm. and a, 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 a concert that's, you know, a festival. And I feel like Big 12 is like, like that 5 o'clock act, that 6 o'clock act, still local, a lot of family and friends that still come out to support you, maybe some people from the bar. And then, like, the SEC is the headliner that can come on, like, at midnight, drunk, sloppy, <laughs> like, no one cares. And it was like, they're just happy to be there. SEC says, are you ready to rock? And everyone rocks. So are you really getting that sense, though, that, uh, you know, Texas is leaving a league where it's, it's two superpowers and mm -hmm. it's a bunch of dwarves? and then you're coming into a superpower league. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, are, are you sensing that? Are the fans mm -hmm. sensing that? What's, what's that energy like there in Austin? Well, it's interesting as far as, uh, you know, I'll start from, from here, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go into the Austin thing. What's interesting for me is being here, uh, as I've been here on Radio Row, uh, with the, it, it's been interesting, like, every couple of minutes – I'll hear somebody randomly mention Texas. I hear Texas, Texas, Texas last season, Steve Sarkeesian, and it's just, it's just random. So I know that there's a buzz that's being generated about Texas joining. I mean, Texas and OU are joining, but Texas, is, I think, has the bigger name. Mm -hmm. And so because of the brand name, uh, that has something to do with it. As far as back to what your question was, as far as Austin is concerned, I think there's a, there's there's definitely an anticipation. I think there's an excitement. I think there's a hope that Texas can get out sooner than later. I think most people are keeping their fingers crossed that it could happen in 2024 as opposed to waiting to 2025. The analogy that I've kind of used has been, you know, Texas and OU and the Big 12, it's kind of like a marriage where everyone's together and the only reason they're together because they're waiting for the kid to turn 18. <laughs> and then when they're 18, they're going to get a divorce. But right now, they're in this relationship. They are in this marriage, and they're waiting. And so they're just waiting for the clock to strike, for this kid to walk across that <laughs> high school graduation stage so they can kind of part ways and go separately. So, you know, what would be interesting going forward is, you know, the big, the, what happens with the, the Big 12. And I know the, the merger thing didn't happen, but – it totally makes sense with the with that merging with the Pac-12. At that point, all you got to do is the Big 12 is just wait for this whole Pac-12 thing to fall apart right. and just take the teams that you want. And so what would be interesting is if they are able to get some Pac-12 teams in here, at that point they're going to say, you know what, Texas, this, oh, let's just figure out how to settle this thing so you guys can go and we can move on because I don't know how long they really want that cloud of Texas, you know, hanging over them. They didn't want every narrative to be, you know, Texas, Texas. Or 
Do they just want to make sure everyone gets a payday mm-hmm. for Texas coming to town and say, hey, this is your last you know, major payday because Texas fans travel well. Uh, it'll be on a, you know, a, a good broadcast. Do they want to do it that way? It'll be interesting to see uh, what your mark kind of does over there. How surprised are you that the – the Big 12 is doing so well because I, I remember this time last year, that's kind of was the feeling was the Big 10s or excuse me, the Big 12's done. There's mm-hmm. no chance they survive, yet they managed it. And now, you know, I don't want to say they're in great position, but certainly better than the Pac-12. I mean, it's surprising, you know, be, because just when, uh, to your point, it's it's almost like the Undertaker rising from the grave, <laughs> right? That that meme when he like, rises up and looks over, it is like that because. We thought to ourselves, like, you know, when Texas and OU decided to leave, you said, oh, this, this, this conference is really in trouble because that's, that was, you know, essentially the conference. You know, they go and add in a couple of teams, but there wasn't a lot of teams that really moved the needle for you. I mean, UCF is a good program, like you're right. not, not being disparaging on UCF. Uh, BYU, good program. Houston has had success, you know, in the past. And, uh, and of course, BYU, uh, which is a story program, but you didn't look at them and say, oh, my gosh, you can create these natural rivalries within the conference. Good conference, competitive conference, but nothing that you said would move the needle. Now, all of a sudden, because of what's, you know, that, that USC, UCLA leaving opens the door for, again, potentially the add-in teams, maybe bring in a Colorado and reestablish some of those rivalries that used to happen in the old Big 12. But I guess I guess maybe swack at that point. But, um, you know, some, some of the, the – uh, or Southwest Conference, rather. Uh, so it would be some of those things. Um, and so now it's just the waiting game to see what happens. So, you know, it's – I would say that the, the new commissioner is doing a pretty good job. Seems to be very – uh, even Q. I think the big the problem that the Big Twelve had for so many years is that they were so complacent, you know, in just saying, okay, Texas brings in money, OU brings in money, and that's it. Because it's interesting because a few years ago the Big Twelve had a chance to expand, as you know, mm-hmm. and they turned it down because they they really didn't want to divvy up the money anymore. Right. At some point, Texas and OU said, okay, we're, we're tired of carrying this conference. We need to go into somewhere else, somewhere bigger and better. And then they found themselves in SEC. So what? The, the Big 12 is trying to survive, and so far it seems like they're doing a pretty good job. Now, I realize these, these are big-picture decisions. They're, they're made with money. They're made with television contracts and all that. Mm-hmm. But if we can move that aside and say Texas, you know, they, they can make this decision uh, whenever they want, do you think if Steve Sarkeesian was being truthful, he would want to wait till 2025 to, to build up that roster to be more competitive in the SEC? Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on that? That's a good question. You know, there's, there's, two, there's two aspects of that. Um, to, to go into. I, one, the Arkansas game, and you and I talked about this last year, I think mm-hmm. was a very revealing thing for Sarkeesian to understand that this program is not ready for SEC football. They got beat up on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and, and they just, you know, had moments but really couldn't recover, you know, from that. And so, you know, they went out and recruited really well in this 2022 class. Uh, got six offensive linemen, uh, one of the better offensive line classes, better offensive line halls in the country, to be quite honest with you. Also brought in a lot of good defensive linemen. So understanding the importance of winning the war in the trenches. So, yeah, you probably want those guys to develop for a couple of years. So you want them, you know, 2022 as a developmental year, 2023 
but you know, maybe ready by 2024. You know, at the latest, they should be ready to go. But I also think the other side of the coin and the other side of that equation too is if you're the networks and you're, for instance, you're, you're ESPN, and you want to make money. So let's just be honest with that. The easiest way to make that is to have Arch Manning in the SEC. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start talking about let's say Quinn Ewers is here in 2022, and Quinn Ewers is there in 2023, and then he's gone by 2024. You want to be able to say Arch Manning is going to Old Miss, be able to yep. sell that. Arch Manning is going to be going to Tennessee, honestly, you know, be able to sell that. And then obviously all the SEC rivalries that the Manning family has had throughout the years. You want to be able to kind of sell that and market that, you know, so you could do that in 2024 um, and then, of course, you know, 2025. But if you're if you are the ESPN, you want the networks, you want that now. You want that if you could get that in 2024 and get all the years of Arch that he's going to be there at Texas. I think you want that under your umbrella and you want those rivalries and you want that for your league. Any surprise that Arch picked Texas? I mean, I know they were heavily involved, but the whole time I thought go to Georgia, mm-hmm. win a national championship. I mean, they're, they're a monster right now. Same thing in Alabama. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Sarkeesian's got that track record for sure. But, you know, th- this is going to be a new challenge. Uh, any surprise that he's making that decision? Not making the easy choice, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think – well, a couple of things as relate to that. You know, he, he chose Sarkeesian more so than he chose Texas. Again, Sarkeesian's history of development of quarterbacks, which you're very well aware of, uh, what he was able to do at Alabama, mm-hmm. predates that at USC for the, all the years that he was there with Pete Carroll, then, of course, at Washington. So, I mean, you go back from the Carlson Palmer <laughs> to, you know, Mac Jones, like you, you, you could see, like, he, it's, it's tried and true. I was having a conversation with Bryce Young, um, you know, just today, and he was saying the main reason that he went to Bama was for Steve Sarkeesian. Like, that was the main reason. So, Sarkeesian has that reputation, kind of like a Lincoln Riley as far as that QB developer, QB whisperer. That's what he has. And, and so, the, for the Manning family, it was about the long game as far as getting Arch to where they want him to be. Who would be the coach that can do that? And so, that Sarkeesian ends up being that person. To your point, as far as the established versus non-established, I think you got to remember with this family, they've been able to kind of pave their own way throughout everything. You got to go back to Archie being in New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. That wasn't established, but you know Archie had to try to establish something there. Um, you know, you, you've got Eli going to you know Old Miss, following in his dad's footsteps again. Semi-established, but not established. But then Eli goes to New York, and that's a rebuilding process. Peyton goes to Indianapolis. That's a rebuilding process. Neither one of those programs, rather teams, did great in year one. If I'm correct, Peyton won one game, I think, of Indianapolis as in his rookie season. So I think they all understand the process. So while I think a lot of people on the outside thought, okay, Georgia's established, Alabama's, is like their mindset's different. You know, they're thinking about, okay, long-term, long game. Um, And when I would check in with my sources with them after loss after loss, Kansas, they never never wavered. And the the reason why I always believed that he was going to go to Texas was because on paper Texas gave them every reason not to go when you start thinking about how bad the season was. And the fact that he remained, Texas remained in the mix, to me – you knew you already knew what Alabama had to offer. You already knew what Georgia had to offer. The only program that you were waiting to see on, really, 
was what Texas was going to be able to do. And that's why I always knew it felt like at the end of the day it would be Texas. I would imagine you've done a ton of Alabama radio because we got a huge <laughs> game, Alabama at Texas. Mm -hmm. Fox already announced nationally televised. How fired up is that Texas fan base? And I, they're probably not going in expecting to win because mm -hmm. Alabama's going to be preseason number one. Sure. Pick the, everyone's going to be pick Alabama. But, you know, it's almost like Sark's playing with house money in that game. Yeah, he is. You know, the thing is uh, the, the challenge that Texas has had has been the non-conference schedule and making it uh, entertaining for the fans because uh, you, th that's why they've gone out and they've scheduled, you know, some tougher teams. They had the LSU um, a couple of years ago. It's like the reverse of the SEC. Where <laughs> we don't schedule anybody in the non-conference because the Correct. conference is such good games. Correct. And, that, and that's the thing that Texas is going to have to do going forward, right, because they've, they've got Michigan on the future schedule. They've had Florida on the future schedule. Um, like I said, I mentioned some of the other ones. And, you know, I have to go back, but, you know, it's been since, I want to say, almost 2012, 2013, somewhere in that range where Texas started off the season 3-0 and because they've scheduled that. So, you know, they'll, they'll have the Bama there. And I think at, Texas fans, I think, are realistic about that one. Last year they expected to beat Arkansas. They're obviously going to be a little bit more realistic about that as far as what that looks like, hoping to, you know, keep it close at home. But also kind of getting the gauge against, like, the big dog, you know, and what you can able to do against Alabama. And, and Texas won't have a bad team. You know, they, they, they'll, they'll have Quinn Ewers as a quarterback. They'll have Bijan Robinson as the, viewed as the number one running back in the country. Uh, Xavier Worthy as a receiver, um, you know, who's going to be a sophomore, but he's nearly a thousand-yard guy, and he'll be even better this year. They got Isaiah Nayor through the transfer portal. He's from Wyoming. Mm -hmm. um, he was considered one of the top five prospects in the transfer he portal. He went to Tennessee. for That's how I know because yes. I'm a Tennessee grad. <laughs> okay, yes. He was at Tennessee for a day. <laughs> he was committed for for a week or so, and then, uh, you know, I was getting to told he's basically like the next Randy Moss. He's got that type of potential. Wow. So that's good to know. See, and so he, so you got that. They, you know, they got Jaleel Billingsley left Alabama. Mm -hmm. You know, he's there. So, you know, they, they'll, they have enough weapons over there where they'll keep Bama on their toes. It's going to be hard to do that for four quarters, right. but they'll keep them on their toes. And Sarkis is a really good coach, and so that you know be interesting. But I think Texas fans are definitely excited uh, about uh, Bama and, and playing. It's like obviously, it's going to be home at home, but very excited about that opportunity to have them there at DKR, a big, you know, big, big, big name. Right. Um, you know, and going forward to give us something excited about, you know, just the, the season and the schedule. I think most, most Texas fans are optimistic 2-1-1 to start off the season and then make that be the springboard into going into the Big 12. Now, last question for you, Andrew. Okay. I really appreciate all your time. No problem. Texas A&M, I forgot to even ask you about that's that last okay. time. That, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Thoughts are, are the Texas fans fired up about uh, getting to replay that game now? Yeah, I would say so. You know, it, it's what happened, obviously, when A&M left, A&M wanted to kind of create their own identity. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't really want to keep that Texas Texas day. And, you know, they just want, didn't want to be under that umbrella. And that's fair and it's understandable. But. My take has always been college football needs these rivalries, mm -hmm. and you know it's you can't don't you can't deny history. You can't just act like after a hundred years of playing a game it doesn't matter. You know you still Florida still plays Florida State, right? right. I mean, 
yeah, Auburn still plays Alabama. Like, you need these historic rivals. College football needs They make the needs game. It. There is. It's the thing that you look forward to. You know, the, the Thanksgiving Day game that used to happen. These are the things that um, we look forward to. It's hard to imagine, you know, certain worlds. Imagine a world where Michigan doesn't play Michigan State at the end of the year. You just, like, it's a bizarre world. USC has to play UCLA. And so I, I'm glad that this pride thing is being going to, going to be put aside. I talked to uh, the commissioner, Sankey. I got him uh, one-on-one, and he started saying that it wasn't one, a 100% guarantee that they was going to do that. They still got to see what uh, this, the, the scheduling looks like and what you know, how many teams, mm-hmm. the conference, all these other kind of things. But you know, at the end of the day, you, you don't bring Texas in here for them not to play Texas A&M. Right. You know, they just, it would make no sense. So I think Texas fans... Um, you know, would want that rivalry. I think Texas A&M should want that, um, especially in this era of NIL where Texas and Texas A&M are able to be very competitive in that thing. You know, playing against each other, I definitely, you know, it will it will help them. So, but if it's it's good for Texas fans, A&M fans, and I think for the overall college football, it's good for everyone involved. Can you tell the audience where to follow you and, and all the work you're doing? Sure. I mean, listen, we're going to be in the SEC soon, so you might as well come and follow <laughs> exactly. me. Exactly. Uh, it's it's you know on Twitter, it's Anwar Richardson, so it's A N W A R Richardson. That's how you can follow me on Twitter. Get on our YouTube channel, the Texas Longhorn Football YouTube channel. I have a bunch of uh, podcasts and videos, right? A bunch of videos on there. Wednesday night, I do your Drunk Uncle Sports podcast, which I'm going to have you on. Uh, but you know, that's where I, I get into a fun, a fun time, and it just, you know, I'm, I'm that fun drunk uncle that uh, you guys can have and, and talk some sports with. So and have a little sip and drinks on that. So, Absolutely. Uh, and of course, you we know, were going to bring a cooler full of beers. They wouldn't let us. <laughs> I could have snuck it in for you. And, of course, we're for orangebloods.com. So, uh, yeah, feel free to give me a follow because uh, if you want to know what's going on in Texas going forward, uh, you know, I'll have the information for you. All right, thank you so much. I really appreciate hey, it. Hey, anytime, buddy. All right, so, hey, that's going to do it for day two, yes. SEC Media Days. If you haven't already, check out the YouTube page. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, we've got every single video, every interview up Thanks to the flying Hawaiian yeah. working hard in the uh, hotel room That's back right. here. But, uh, man, we have got every team covered yep. with uh, uh, links to, to just those channels, if you just want those, or every right. single video. Uh, we've got the entire SEC covered. Absolutely. If you're, uh, if you're at work tomorrow, turn the notifications on. Maybe your guy's coming up and you want to check it out on break, you know. So um, that SEC podcast really growing, and it's been – Super active. We told you we would. We'd give you the behind the scenes. We'd give you everything we got. And by God, we haven't stopped, man. I don't even know what I'm saying. I feel drunk. <laughs> well, let's cut it there, Shay, before we say so. Uh, we shouldn't, and we get disinvited from day three to SEC Media Days. <laughs> you got it. <laughs>